have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Uh, Jake, are you a, you a morning person? How, how, do you, how do you handle waking up? starting the day uh, good i bad? really i really think it's like real important to get up early but i hate it all the time <laughs> you know oh. it's a real battle for me to be honest with you i'm exactly the opposite i hate getting up like 12 45 is kind of a normal time for me to wake up oh my man <laughs> oh i love that shit then i just get to stay I, I don't up know until why it four. makes me depressed if i get up late i don't know why <laughs> well i am always depressed so that might there may be something to that um, it don't matter which time i can't yeah. even tell i'm opening you it the this amount way of times people like ask me something to ask robert i'm like he will not be awake for at least four hours no. i don't know no. what you want from me <laughs> like yeah, you will not but you work late right uh-huh i did i woke up at 8 a.m this morning That's actually that we we're recording weird. this that's and then I was like, why would I do this? Horrible. And then I went to sleep until right before this recording started and well, woke up tracks. feeling like shit. That sounds like just your life choices. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure was. Uh, Sophie, why did you make me get up this early? Huh? Uh, because Jake doesn't live in our time zone. And it seems fucking okay, rude okay. to make somebody record a podcast in the middle of well, the night. You know, we're talking about conspiracy theorists today. Seems like kind of a conspiracy to suggest that the time might be different just because you're in another country, Sophie. You're so annoying. I know. We should stick to, um, <laughs> like, you guys should follow real time, British time. But it, but yeah, isn't that isn't it Greenwich Mean Time? Is that what you guys use, right? We just call it real time. Just real time? <laughs> just yeah, actual people real time. time? As yeah. opposed to fake American time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, our time zones are fucking nonsense, you know? It's like, uh, I don't know, using... Inches, but wait, you, do you guys use inches? Are you? I, I, I mean, always forget how it works. Do you know what we use? Everything. It's weird. You guys like, use we all use of everything. them, right? Like, yeah, depending on what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> like like people give America shit because we like picked the one thing that no one else basically uses, but you guys picked like both of them, which is yeah, also yeah. kind of nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> love it. Hey, love a, it. We're a stupid place, really. Everyone is. Uh, this is yeah. behind the bastards, a podcast about the stupid place that is the world and the terrible people. Who make it worse, I guess. Jake, you ready to get back to talking about Julius Stryker? Uh, Favorite. 
Yeah. 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 So again, as we left off, he is, uh, he's kind of one of the guys alongside Hitler that a lot of people in the German writer, like maybe this guy's our Messiah, you know, maybe he's the dude who's going to bring us back to greatness and then convince us to invade Russia in an inopportune time and get several million of our young men killed again, whatever. That's what, that's what people are saying about Stryker and about uh, Hitler and Stryker's part of this kind of like anti-Semitic, you know, UN org, Ober uh, organization, whereas Hitler's, you know, part of the German workers party, which is in the process of merging with the German socialist party to form the national socialist German workers party, AKA the Nazis. So, <clears throat> When Stryker joins this organization run by his buddy Dickel, uh, he takes the newspaper that he had started using the funding from the uh, German Socialist Party, and he brings it with him because he's the guy who owns it. He changes its name uh, to Deutscher Volkswill, which I think just means German people's will. Um, and he kind of ups the violence in his rhetoric, particularly the anti-Semitic violence, by a couple of jots when he does this. Uh, not only does he start devoting more time to laying out conspiracy theories, but he starts accusing Jewish citizens in Germany, often by name, of specific criminal acts, generally in Nuremberg. So he's not just doing the sort of general, it's the Jews that cause us to lose World War One, yada, yada. He's saying, like, there is a specific Jewish person or a specific group of Jewish people who carried out this specific crime in Nuremberg, right? Um Often these crimes are completely, generally these crimes are completely made up. He's basically always making up like who was the culprit behind them. A lot of it is like accusing rabbis of ritually murdering Christian children and stuff. It doesn't matter that like kids aren't going missing um, or sometimes like a kid will die just the way, you know, it's fucking 1921, you know, kids trip and fall and cut their arms and get infections Rats and shit. shit exactly right like yeah um so anytime something like that happens find a way to blame it on the jews you know put this shit out now it's not legal to just like accuse random people of child abduction and murder right like you can get in trouble for that even back then um and he actually he goes so far in this stuff the bavarian courts are pretty right wing um, they're not like naturally inclined to prosecute a guy like Stryker, but he goes so far in like accusing random Jewish people of crimes that he gets charged and convicted of slander. Um, getting convicted of slander as a as a right wing politico in 1921 Bavaria, pretty hard. Uh, but, but yeah. Julius, Julius yeah. does it. Yeah. Um, this tiny amount of pressure from the government, though, winds up really helping him. Like the fact that he's been convicted and charged because now he's able to play the victim. Right. Not uh, only is he right. he's like, I'm I'm being prosecuted, persecuted. They're trying to stop me from talking to you. Um, and so it brings this helps to bring in more followers, bring more subscribers to his newsletter, bring more members to the organization that Dickel founded that he's kind of the the figure for and striker gets more famous on april 4th 1922 several thousand nurembergers nurembergians whatever burgers show up to good. burgers is good several several thousand burger now i'm hungry several thousand burgers show up to listen to striker give a speech in which he explains that in august of 1914 he had gone to war believing himself a soldier of germany only to find out that he was a pawn in this grand jewish game for global control and also the french are involved and a huge amount of his rhetoric is focused upon kind of taking advantage of and stoking the anxieties of young german men in this time who they've just lost a war like young men don't like losing wars uh, and they're kind of emasculated right by defeat and this sense of inferiority 
that it brings. And that's a big part of what Stryker is going to take advantage of. I'm going to read you a quote that he gave in this speech here. Stand in front of a hotel and see who takes the arms of the German girl, not the German worker. We know they sometimes give themselves to the Orientals. When a Negro or a black soldier on the Rhine misuses a German girl, she is lost to the race. And he is, when he's bringing up like black soldiers going out with German girls, what he's talking about is that the Rhine, which is kind of, or the Ruhr actually, I think it is, is the which is the industrial, it's all along the Rhine though, which is the industrial like heartland of Germany. It's where they'd done a lot of their arms production for World War One. That's occupied uh, under the Treaty of Versailles by French troops for a significant chunk of the Weimar period. And the French often send over like colonial soldiers, uh, including like African soldiers. Um, Algerians and that. Exactly, exactly. Everywhere you have soldiers stationed in a foreign country, this shit will happen. Um, Some number of them will do bad things. And whenever something like that happens with these French occupation troops, it is this huge deal on the right, you know, because there's this race panic issued towards it too um you know they're they're angry just period at the fact that they lost the war so that's what striker is kind of he's not only sort of like you know look they've got these like black soldiers on our soil but more broadly speaking he's like german women are being taken from german men because we've been emasculated by defeat and this is part of a jewish plot to like water down our blood Right, that's the Jesus thing that Stryker's Christ. doing. Yeah, you know, he's like, really that's how reaching it's with that one. Well, yes, of course. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that do be the Nazis. Um, yeah. So his time with the German working group was short. One of his rallies was broken up by a giant street fight with communists, which Dickel's organization apparently considered his fault. He left in the subsequent disagreement, unable as ever to handle anyone criticizing him. And this leaves Julius in a bit of a pickle. He needs an organization, right? He's he's not. Anything without sort of like he's got like a a degree of celebrity, but like he wants to be a part of a party, right? He wants to be working towards taking power. And his paper at this point is still too small to be profitable on its own without kind of the guaranteed regular sales that came with being the paper of a political organization. And he's so we sort of like fishing around who's going to take me, who wants Julius, you know, who's who's willing to, to have me be on their side. And the only party in Germany who's kind of radical enough to take someone like him who's got the reputation he has is the new Nazi party. Now, they're still in the process of doing this merger at the time, and the guys who had been sort of running the Democratic Socialist Party and had worked with Stryker earlier don't want him in the Nazi party. And the dudes who had sort of been fighting with Hitler within the German Workers' Party also don't necessarily want Stryker. Um, and so when he starts reaching out to Hitler, cause he, like Hitler's the guy he likes basically sends a letter to being like, Hey, I think I'd be willing to like work with you guys. They send Hitler a letter filled with like dirt on Julius, trying to basically like convince Hitler not to work with him. Be like, ah, here's all this shit about like Julius Stryker, all this bad stuff, you know, about like why this guy's not trustworthy. But then this is really interesting. Stryker doesn't get along with most people who are in charge of him. And Hitler, not a great guy at sharing the stage, but for whatever reason, the two of them kind of get along. And when Hitler gets this letter filled with dirt on Stryker, he's like, I think this is bullshit. I think I like this guy and I want to work with him. And we we don't really know why, but in addition to Hitler kind of liking Stryker and wanting to, to work with him, Stryker this guy who cannot take direction, who doesn't like to listen to people, who has a conflict with everyone who puts themselves above him, 
kind of decides at this moment, you know what? I'm willing to like take a back seat and back Hitler as the Fuhrer. Like maybe I could do that if I would, but I'm willing to like back him. I'm willing to like give him, you know, my full faith and support. We don't fully know why he makes this call. Um, but in May of 1922, he publishes an article on his newspaper called The Longing of a Strong Hand. Echoing Sabatendorf's work, he begged German anti-Semites to unite behind a single leader who could give direction to the quarrelsome right wing. And he kind of ends with him like being like, you know, I think Hitler's probably a guy to watch for this. Um, one possibility here is that Stryker, at this point, he's been in politics a while. He's had a couple of big failures. You know, he's tried to basically build two parties around him and failed two times. So he may have just like, he's not a humble guy, but he may have actually just kind of recognized his limitations and been like, clearly I can't do this and Hitler can. So I'm going to support the guy who's doing it. You know, um, the other possibility, which I think, you know, both of these things are possible is that he kind of just falls in love with Hitler. Like this seems to be genuine from him. Like that he he is like genuinely loyal and genuinely believes in Hitler as the fucking right wing messiah type dude. We don't actually know when the two first met, probably at some point in 1922. Years later, where when he's on trial at Nuremberg, Julius is going to like give uh, uh, his sort of like explanation of how they two of how they met. And this is a lie, obviously. We are talking about, like, a Nazi leader on trial for war crimes against humanity. He's not giving you the truth of whatever their meeting was. But I still think it's interesting what he's later going to claim is, like, how the two of them, like, meet. So he says, you know, he shows up at the speech that Hitler's giving. He's kind of curious about this guy that's sort of been billed as, you know, maybe his rival. Um, and he's immediately taken in by Hitler's supernatural charisma. He's overwhelmed by the chanting of the crowd. And he... He like has almost this vision of Hitler as a messenger from heaven. That's how he described it. Quote, clothed with the beauty of inspired language. And Stryker claims that he's so overwhelmed with the raw, godly force of Hitler's charisma that he like walks up to him right after the speech and swears fealty. Quote, never before had I heard that song sung so imploringly, so filled with faith and hope. And never before had the singing of Deutschland über alles moved me as deeply as it did in that mass meeting where I first saw Adolf Hitler and heard him speak. I felt it. In this moment, destiny calls to me a second time. I hurried through the jubilant masses to the podium, stood before him and said, I am Julius Stryker. At this moment, I know I can only be a follower, but you are a leader. I give you the popular movement, which I have built in Franconia, which is the German state that Nuremberg's in. So I was like, he was giving Hitler the dickle, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's giving he's, he's definitely like boot licking here. Pretty, he's like deep throating that boot. He's got Jake, it up to the heel. How you know, you holding that in. Mm-hmm. I just been trying to work it out. You know, I know, like, how I can know. It get in there? Yeah, <laughs> proud of you. Proud you of you. The cogs going in my head. Yeah, like just churning cogs, along yeah. like a cement mixer. Just like waiting. Yeah. <laughs> now. This is what I just related to you. Again, I think it's worth having because this is like the claim that he makes. It's absolutely a lie. And and Randall Bitework, who is um, Stryker's biographer, he kind of provides what I think is a much more realistic theory as to how these two guys get together, which is basically that like Stryker, he's not he's a man without a party, but he's got a shitload of followers who just like him because they like listening to him. He's got this paper and he sits down with Hitler and the Nazis and they have this like negotiation, like this kind of hard nosed negotiation in which 
You know, he's like, hey, I need money from you guys to help me deal with the debts that I've accumulated. You know, in exchange, I'll bring you these followers. I'll like back Hitler. It's a very it is very much a rational political decision. While there's definitely like Stryker will be loyal to Hitler, like there is a degree of legitimate affection between the two men. This is also just a very practical call for him. It's a business decision as well as a political one. Um, so, yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, Julius, for his part, seems to be one of the few men Hitler respected. Um, it's notable. You'll every time you you he, like read anything about the two, um, you will see it noted that Hit- Stryker was one of a very small number of Nazis who were allowed to use the pronoun "du" to refer to Hitler. Du. I'm not a German speaker. I barely speak English, but, but do is like an intimate pronoun. Like you, you only use it with somebody that you're like close with. Right. Right. Like your, your actual friend, like your actual friends, actual, like almost people you. Yeah. And obviously this is, I think on Hitler's part, letting Stryker do this is more of a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a political move, but it's also based on his respect for the man's loyalty because Hitler does not personally like Stryker. The two right. are not friends. They don't hang out together. Hitler will actually kind of avoid him when he's in power and like big meetings and stuff. Like we'll try <laughs> not to hang. But Hitler will also defend him against other Nazis who hate him because he has so much respect for Stryker's skill as a propagandist, right? Which is an interesting sounds, sort of relationship for them to have. It just sounds yeah. like that guy where he's like, oh, fuck, it's him again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know? It's him again, but also, man, that he's fucking good at what he does. He's good, yeah. yeah. We need yeah. him around, but I don't want him around me. Yeah, I don't want to like have dinner with him, but like I will, I will back him to the hilt as long as he stays away. <laughs> um, so Stryker never quarreled with Hitler, but he did get into regular conflict with other Nazis, and he has a particular early issue with the leader of the Nuremberg SA. You know, the storm, the Nazi street fighting organization. They're proud boys, so to speak. Um. Because he winds up taking control of the city's Nazi party, um, like this struggle kind of goes on and he winds up winning it. And in 1923, Julius is sort of running the Nazi party branch in Nuremberg. And as a result of like taking over, he decides to launch a new newspaper. Uh, And this is a publication that he's going to use for the specific goal of not just bringing people to the Nazi party, but to inspire regular Germans to embrace his war on Judaism. He names it Der Sturmer. Now, that means like the stormer, right? Like in terms of like a stormtrooper, right? Like that's right. how that term is used. He's very much calling up sort of people's memories of World War One. He's very much sort of making, you know, a point of the fact that that's what he did in the war. Mm-hmm. He will later claim that his inspiration was that he wanted to use this paper to storm the red fortress of left-wing politics in Germany. And initially, in Der Sturmer, Articles are kind of split between three major topics. He's one of the major topics is him just going on rants against people who made fun of him. The other (laughs) is attacking the Jews. And the last is going after the mayor of Nuremberg, Herman Lupa. Like half of his early articles are just attacking the mayor. He fucking hates this guy. Is that the guy that did him for uh, for talking bad? Yeah, he he had a major role in that. That's a big part of where it starts. And Lupa, to his credit. Um, he's not a left-wing radical. Uh, I'm not saying that's too script, but just to describe him, he's not a left-wing radical. He's kind of politically, he's like a bridge between moderate centrist liberals and democratic socialists who are sort of okay. like the moderate leftists of their day. You know, and obviously the kind of centrist libs don't get along with the democratic socialists, don't get along with the communists. 
Lupa's not, you know, really in with the communists, but he is a bridge between like the centrists and the democratic socialists. And he is profoundly anti-Nazi. And he does the best that he knows to try to go after Stryker. Obviously, it doesn't work. Um, And you feel for the guy. He gets persecuted under the Nazis. He winds up dying this is a real bummer. He he makes it through most of the war as like a persecuted political enemy of the Nazis and then dies in an air raid in 45, which is a oh, fuck. fucking bummer. But, you know, wow. he, he tried. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stryker spends most of his first four issues attacking the mayor uh, with publishing alongside, you know, ancillary articles accusing local Jewish people or organizations of crimes. And it was this latter brand of content, you know, these articles sort of making explicit allegations against Jewish citizens that's going to lead to Stryker's first period of time in jail. And I'm going to quote from Calvin University's German propaganda archive here. At one of these meetings held in 1922 in the town of Schoningen in Franconia, Stryker pointed out that 16 newspapers had recently reported on the disappearance of over 100 German children before the Jewish Passover season of 1919. Since none of the boys was ever located, Stryker concluded that they must have become victims of Jewish ritual murder. He explained that his reasoning was based on teachings contained in the Talmud, which allegedly instructed Jews to kill Christians, especially children, and drink their blood during the Jewish Easter season. Stryker was sued on the ground of defaming the Jewish religion and sentenced to 14 days in prison. He appealed, and the sentence was reduced to a fine of 2,000 marks plus court costs. And first off, it's interesting, you know, you and I before this call were kind of talking about our our episodes, you know, a week or so ago on BTB about this kidnapping panic that's, that's going everywhere. You see the same thing is going on in Weimar Germany, right? This you know, in America, the statistic you'll hear quoted is like half a million children go missing every year in the United States, which is a lie. That would be one out of seven children born every year in the United States gets abducted. Um, right, what it is is that, yeah, there's like four or 500,000 every year. Reports, it's a hell of a lot, though. Well, it's, it's not. It's reports of kids going missing, which is generally not a kid actually going missing. It's either you have a custody dispute between you know, two people and one of them takes the kid and it's, you know, th- there's a report filed against the police as part I of see, that I ongoing see. thing or like, More you know, some, a lot of it's mistakes and stuff. There's not a half a million children who just disappear, right? Like right. that would be like, <laughs> that would be a calamity, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the thing is though, it's, it's one of the ones where as dark as it is, it's smart to use something like that because oh, yeah. one child going missing is a total tragedy. Yeah. And to play on people, you know, kids, everybody loves their kids or they yeah. should do, you know, and everyone loves kids. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's so hits you right in the heart. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Um, it's a tactic as we can see all this time. Yeah. And who knows why these hundred kids go missing, right? Yeah. For one thing, hundred kids across Germany in 1922, that's not like an epidemic, but each of those cases, as you said, is like a, a dagger to the heart yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of different reasons. Stryker is just using that statistic and then making the unfounded claim it's the Jews that are doing it. Whereas I'm sure it's a mix of, you know, kids falling down wells, kids getting abducted by parents. There's probably some like creepy sex pests in there. But it's like in oh, any yeah. society, like some number of kids, bad things will happen to. I'm not saying that to like write it off, but like if you oh, sort of can blame it on a specific group of people, you can make a lot of political hay. Um, and so anyway, that that's working well for him. And he learns from his his time getting arrested for this and like the fact that, again, get, getting fucked with by the court a little bit, getting this fine 
It doesn't really disrupt his ability to organize. You know, the party pays the fine, but it helps him build support. And he also like the fact that, you know, this strikes such a nerve. The reason why he gets prosecuted for this is because it works. It gets a lot of people reading his paper because people are interested when you claim that there's some conspiracy against their children. Right. Like it's just a thing people inherently pay attention to. Um and whatever punishment the state's going to give you for lying about this stuff is a lot less of an issue than like the benefit you get from from making this a center of your politics. Um, so Dare Sturmer becomes a runaway hit. Uh, and in fact, it's so successful that Max Amon, who's the leader of the Nazi party's press wing, asks him to stop publishing it because it's taking business away from the Nazi party paper. Um now, Stryker's not is going to ignore him, uh, and it's going to wind up being good for the Nazis that he does ignore him. Um, in these early days, Der Sturmer is, it's not as the full-size newspaper it's going to become. It's kind of like a pamphlet right now. It's usually about four pages long. Um, and so, you know, it's building a name for itself. And then in 1923, our boy Hitler has his Munich Beer Hall putsch, right? Tries to take over the government. Can we not with our boy Hitler? <laughs> okay, sure, <laughs> sure, Sophie. Um, yeah, friend of the pod, Adolf. Also, no. no. <laughs> he does his oh, putsch. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go well. A lot of people get shot, uh, and Stryker's a part of that, right? He's one of what the Nazis are going to call the old fighters. You know, so he he's in the putsch. He doesn't get killed, but he does get arrested. He does a couple of months, you know, in prison. So not that bad a sentence. Hitler's more like a year. Um, and he, he gets out afterwards and he starts printing Der Sturmer and the putsch, there's a couple of things that have happened here. For one, the Nazi party has been temporarily banned. So suddenly this Nazi newspaper that like folks in the party had been frustrated because Der Sturmer was distracting attention from it. It can't publish anymore, but Der Sturmer is not a Nazi newspaper. It's Stryker's paper. So he can keep publishing it during this period in which the party is kind of technically banned. The other thing that's happened here is that the court case that Hitler goes through, right, when he's charged with doing this 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 putsch, uh, as we've talked about in our episode on the Munich Beer Hall putsch, becomes like a media circus in Germany, right? And everybody, Hitler uses it very effectively to spread propaganda. While he's on trial, he's giving these speeches about his beliefs and about what he sees as necessary for the nation. And it works incredibly well. Like, he makes a lot of political hay out of this. Um, and in the wake of it, number one, Hitler's become a celebrity across the country as opposed to this kind of regional figure. And number two, a lot of Germans are now curious about Nazi beliefs and about anti-Semitic politics. And Stryker's paper, which is still publishing, kind of becomes the de facto paper for Nazi sympathetic people during this period in which the party is technically banned. By 1925, it's increased uh, its circulation to the size of a normal newspaper with full page advertisements and enough circulation to actually like make money. So Stryker is now making a profit. And in fact, in the near future, he's going to get rich off of the success of this newspaper. Um, so he continues while he starts this thing starts blowing up to push the boundaries of what is considered at the time to be sort of acceptable anti-Semitic discourse. Most mainstream racists in Germany stuck to vague insinuations that the Jews are in bed with the French or the socialists or the French socialists and are responsible for them losing the war, yada, yada. But you've also, you're also starting to get more and more writing 
in mainstream German press about Nazi racial theory, right? A lot of these high-minded articles about ancient Aryans start coming out now. This stuff had existed before World War One. You know, as we've talked about, there's all these weird little right-wing secret societies and Volkish secret societies and stuff. But now this starts to get out into the mainstream. And Stryker understood that when it came to getting people on board with this kind of propaganda, one thing worked on getting the attention of regular people better than anything else, and that was blood, right? The best way to get people to pay attention to your racism was to titillate them with gory stories of violence. And speaking of profiting off of titillating people with gory stories of violence, you know what time it is now, Jake? Is it adverts? It's ad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh. We are back. So I was just telling you, Jake. Again, we're talking about like how modern this guy is. Part of what Stryker does to like build a career for himself is he kind of gets into true crime. Right. Like that's that's sort of like the thing that he's going. That's the kind of content that's going to like help make Der Sturmer a big deal. Well, that changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm kind of, you know, it doesn't sound so bad now. Doesn't sound so bad now. I'm scared of serial killers. Sure. Um, these aren't actual true crimes, but that's how he like frames what he's doing. Mm. Uh, the first reference to ritual murder in Der Sturmer is in 1924, and reader responses start to roll in, convincing Julius that this is a fecund spring of audience interest. By 1926, he'd built to focusing an entire issue of Der Sturmer on ritual murder, framing it as an investigation into the supposed ritual killing by Jews in Breslau. Quote, in Breslau, two children, Otto and Erika Fessi, secretly vanished. They were murdered. The corpse pieces were found the same day in a tied package in a public place. The search for the murderer began. The cloth and corpse pieces which were packaged became an open showcase in a public window, which drew masses of people to come and view. According to the author of the article, the body parts had been bled before they were packaged. This and history were enough to proclaim it a Jewish ritual murder. Here's Stryker again. Doesn't the fact that the body parts were found totally bled point to such a Jewish butcher's procedure? Such was the report of two of the Silesian newspapers that announced that this Breslau child murder sounds as though it is possibly a Jewish ritual murder. The Breslau child murder reminds us of the Konitz boy murder that was discovered a few decades ago, when for no apparent reason a boy disappeared from school. The traces led to a house of Jewish butchers. The bled pieces of remains of the boy were also found in a public place. This unsolved mystery has been brought to the attention of the criminal police. The crime was never solved. Now with the disappearance of these children in much the same way. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. 
We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When those those legends get here, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) You're here. You're here already. No, uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The day. That's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, oh. started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Should this case also be lost in the sand? And again, you see what he's doing is he's like, this case, which we have to assume is done by the Jews because we know this is the kind of thing they do, is the same as this other case decades ago where we know that a boy was murdered by Jewish people. And of course, it was never solved, but like we know who it was. Uh, there's no, not ever any evidence here, right? But like, right. like connecting dots that aren't there. But you can give the details since you don't have evidence to actually connect this. What you do is you give the details of the murder, right? And mm-hmm. that gets people at such an agitated state that you say, and then obviously, you know, this was done by, right. by this group of people. And it works very well. When blood and violence weren't enough, Stryker turned to sex. Many Der Sturmer articles contained livid descriptions of sexual violence, right? And this is generally, he'll like have an article about some purported crime by like, you know, a a non-white French soldier in the Ruhr or by, you know, Jewish uh, cabals or whatever. And the purpose is both to like get people angry against those groups of people, but also he's able to spend paragraphs talking about, you know, lurid sexual assault assault stories and that gets people to buy the newspaper because like it's kind of the most accessible pornography at the time right yeah like yeah it's messy but like this is like a big part of its it's uh it's a uh, it's it's appeal. And in fact, one Nazi German writer who hated Stryker described Der Sturmer's appeal this way. He wants to keep his readers in constant suspense. But what do his readers want? Sensation and filth. Stryker gives that to them. He floods his readers with tastelessness. And who are his readers? Mostly adolescents who are still wet behind the ears. Thanks to Stryker's education, every lad is familiar with homosexuality and prostitution. One cannot blame Stryker for speaking about these matters. Every newspaper today does. The question is how one speaks of them. Stryker gives them great prominence. May not one be concerned when one sees the Sturmer not only in the hands of older students, but also in possession of elementary school students. And that's interesting because it it gels with something Randall Bightwork says in his biography of Sturmer, which is that in the early years of Der Sturmer, it was kind of an analog to Playboy magazine, right? That was a big part of its appeal to the kids who are going to get sort of pilled on early Nazi politics is that like you you start reading Der Sturmer because it's where you read about like sex, right? Right. Um, Exactly. It's like titillating, you know, and and boys will like they'll get copies without their parents knowing and they'll share them with each other. They'll like huddle around each other after school and like read these like lurid stories of sex and violence and whatnot, because like it's kind of where you get them. 
And the this I had no idea this had gone on because the the fascination with this sort of thing was so durable that a lot of Der Sturmer's early readers are Jewish Germans who would buy every issue and read it cover to cover. Stryker would actually jokingly thank them for supporting the paper in its early years. And while he's not a trustworthy source, Bitework notes that in 1925, a Jewish newspaper in Nuremberg complained, quote, it is of great concern that the Sturmers very frequently read even in Jewish circles. We have found that large numbers of citizens of the Jewish faith buy the Sturmer and then take it home, concealed in a copy of, you know, other newspapers. Mm. Thus, Jews directly support the Sturmer. So this is like a problem for them. And they're supporting it not because they're like secretly, you know, into Nazi propaganda, but because like it's where you read sex stuff, you know? Right. Everyone likes smut. Yep. That is a that is the secret to Stryker's brilliance is he understands like you wrap your racism in some smut. You'll get everybody's money, you know? Um, Yeah. Stryker was also innovative in another way. While most Nazi propagandists, including Hitler, saw themselves as like these central, powerful figures guiding people towards a set of truths, Stryker was willing to have more of a give-and-take relationship with his audience. Now, part of this was pragmatic and based on something other Nazi newspaper owners would do, which is that it's expensive to hire writers to write articles, right? And like, you know, photographs cost too much money to have a lot of those, but publishing reader letters is free, right? If you solicit shit from your readers and then publish that stuff to a mailbox or whatever, you know, you can like get free content for your newspaper without paying for it. This is a thing that a lot of Nazi papers did where Stryker and Der Sturmer differed was that again, they consider this sort of a two-way street. So when he starts to get a bunch of letters from readers who are like talking about a specific conspiracy theory they have of, you know, so-and-so doing an evil thing, Stryker will use that and he'll just sort of like write out an investigation. And, you know, he doesn't actually send anyone to investigate, but he'll take these, it's Alex Jones does this a lot where he'll like, you'll hear one episode, he'll get like a caller come in and make some sort of claim. And then the next episode, he's like, I've got sources that say this is going on. You know, it's, it's a, it's an easy way to make content, right? Um, we'll yeah, do it. The one source of these is days, never so actually. They, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found a fascinating analysis of the letters to Der Sturmer. Um, and like the different kind of ways they impacted content in the Journal of Modern Judaism by Dennis Showalter. And Showalter notes that Der Sturmer did sometimes publish just letters by outright cranks. Like, you know, people, what, one example he gives is there was this like guy who writes a letter to, to Stryker about how the Jews stole my business and they like forced me in an insane asylum. And it's, you know, it's clearly some dude who just like had a mental breakdown and blamed it all on the Jews for whatever reason, but right. letter you went yeah. bankrupt and then you went nuts. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But letters, the, these kind of letters where it's just like some crank writing out a conspiracy theory are kind of rare uh, in terms of the kind of stuff he published. A much larger number of letters were requests for aid, either by people claiming, you know, I got swindled by a Jewish merchant or something, or by people just claiming that they were suffering under the Weimar system, which was itself seen as Jewish. And publishing all of these letters allowed Stryker to make the case for Nazism in a way that was more personal than even a lot of Hitler speeches. The pages of Der Sturmer became a place where Germans suffering from hard times could come to ask for aid. You could sort of direct support to people who were suffering through the uh, the news page, which kept people coming in, which built this sort of relationship with the—and again, it's very modern to like the way social media works, where you're like— 
oh, this guy is kind of politically on our side and he needs money for this. We'll do like a fundraiser for him, you know, and this also serves as a way to like, you know, we can talk about this bad thing that happened to him and how it's part of the the evil that our our enemies are doing. Right. Right. Um, right. And so Der Sturmer becomes kind of this is how it becomes so central, a big part of how it becomes central to like the growing Nazi movement. Um, and likewise, Stryker is able to use the kind of conversations he's having with his readers through these letters to forge Der Sturmer into a sort of weapon that really hadn't existed before. And to, to talk about that, I'm going to quote again from Walter's piece. By far the largest category of letters in Der Sturmer's files and pages expressed grievances of one kind or another. This correspondence can be further subdivided under four general headings. The first can be best described as undifferentiated anti-Semitism, dislike of Jews as Jews. Here, simple hatred was less common than hostility based on profound ignorance. One rural correspondent described in detail the alleged Jewish practice of throwing stones on the graves of their dead while saying, Greet Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for me, and when you see the little carpenter, throw a stone at his head. The daughter of another local Nazi was employed by a Gentile family as lady help until served a meal that included ground meat purchased from a Jewish butcher. Years of anti-Semitic horror stories about Jews deliberately polluting food, especially meat, and then selling it to Gentiles, had their effect. The girl refused her dinner, even when her employers mocked her volkish prejudices and told her to eat or give notice. To her proud father, this principled stand deserved recognition in Der Sturmer, and Stryker agreed. Now, that may just sound like undifferentiated Nazi propaganda, and it is, but also what's happening here is this girl, or her dad at least, is using Der Sturmer to say, hey... This family, this prominent family who hired my daughter, are doing business with a Jewish butcher. They're buying his products. Right, and so not right. only does this spread this conspiracy that Jews are poisoning people, but it also shames this specific family and kind of directs threats against them. Because Der Sturmer's readership are a bunch of asshole Nazis, right? So they hear, oh, this family's buying from a Jewish butcher. Let's go fuck with them, right? Let's, you know, do some graffiti at their house. Let's, like, mess them up a little bit until they stop. And this is a really important point in turning point for Nazi propaganda, because one of the first steps on the road to genocide, anywhere that it exists, but in Nazi Germany in this particular instance, is the exclusion of targeted people from daily life, right? Once Hitler takes power, of course, you know, they they pass a bunch of laws to restrict Jewish employment, to get them out of public, right? So that Germans on a daily basis are not making contact with Jewish people and thus don't have relationships with them, you know, won't stand up to stop the state from killing them in other ways. But during the Weimar period, Stryker is able to push Germans to cut tens of thousands, God knows how many, to cut off ties with their Jewish neighbors by using his paper this way. Readers start Basically, whenever they see, they see a, you know, you've got like a German family, you know, or a a German business that's like not run by racist, right? So they're like, well, we'll sell products that are made by this this Jewish owned company or we'll have business with this Jewish butcher or whatever. Um, You write about to to Der Sturmer about them. And then Der Sturmer says, hey, this grocery store is selling meat from a Jewish butcher. Go pick at it, you know, go uh, spray paint, go break their windows, right? And some, a lot of businesses just start to pull back from their dealings with with Jewish business people, with Jewish companies, uh, with Jewish doctors and stuff. Uh, like you know, right. one thing people will case. literally, get, yeah, exactly, because they don't want to yeah. be the subject of this shit. Like people, yeah. people will write in letters being like, "My my neighbor goes to a Jewish doctor," and then that guy will get like fucking egged in the street or like beat up by the SA or something, and it pushes people huge numbers of people who are kind of centrists or even kind of progressive. 
to cut off ties with their Jewish neighbors in a lot of cases because it's so dangerous to do so. It's disastrous to your business. You can wind up getting very badly hurt as a result of it. Um, He is using mass media to direct harassment campaigns in order to separate German Jews from other Germans. Um, And it works extremely well. Um, Der Sturmer is a potent weapon, and it's a kind of weapon hadn't really existed before in this form because like mass media is sort of becoming getting born in this period of time. So yeah, that's good. <laughs> Sets off a real chain reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, variants of this tactic are used all around today, right? Yeah. It just, it works really well. It's this kind of <laughs> like when we talk about like the negative things about social media and how it can like direct harassment campaigns against people who go viral for whatever reason, you know, this is an early gasp of that. You know, it's obviously it's more directed. It's less of kind of a, a consequence. It's not a consequence of an algorithm or anything, but it is this this understanding of like, well, you could just like lie to piss off a bunch of people at a specific random person, and that will change their behavior in a way that might benefit me politically. It's yeah. I mean, it's a kind of algorithm, right? I mean, it's yeah. not a, a programmed one that's programmed by. Um, on computers, but it's it's yeah. like a human algorithm. If we can upset this one, then these lot will be scared to come yeah. here, and as as a result, it will it will uh, exclude one group from something else. It, it's yeah. very much like that now, but just obviously, like you said, via social media, where yeah, he basically, I mean, he's built a, a kind of gun here, and he's going to leave it on the table when he gets yes. hung at Nuremberg. Yeah. But everybody can pick that gun up today, right? Like it's easy to find. Um, so the Sturmer becomes a potent weapon. Um, you get these lurid stories of, wep- of violence and sex that draws in readers, especially young readers who, young people, you know, you don't have as much sort of uh, impulse control. So when these letters come out saying this family or this business is doing business with the Jews, they're maybe more likely to go fuck shit up, go break stuff, you know? Um, it, it it works well. And circulation increases during the period, this like late 20s period, from the tens of thousands to the hundreds of thousands. And this makes Julius a very wealthy man. As the years go on, the Nazis draw ever closer to power. And Stryker, who is, he's he's generally recognized as like, he's not a particularly bright guy in most things. You know, he's not like a very academic person. He's not a guy, you know, as a teacher, he wasn't very successful. But he's he's not just it's this is not just he has like a degree of kind of like gut instinct as a propagandist, but he also pays attention to what works and doesn't. And over time, he starts to lay out a basis, uh, the basis for a theory on how to properly deploy propaganda. And a Nazi historian who worked with him in the 30s describes Stryker's style this way. Since he wanted to capture the masses, he had to write it in a way that the masses could understand in a style that was simple and easy to comprehend. He had recognized that the way to achieve the greatest effect on an audience was through simple sentences. Writing had to adopt the style of speaking if it were to have a similar effect. Stryker wrote in the Sturmer the way that he talked. The worker who came home at night from the factory was neither willing nor able to read intellectual treatises. He was, however, willing to read what interested him and what he could understand. Stryker therefore took the content from daily life and the style from speech. He thus gave the Sturmer its style, a style which many intellectuals could not understand, but which fundamentally was nothing but the product of his own experience gained over the years. And it's one of the things that's compelling to me about this is that obviously like, you know, liberal and leftist intellectuals hate Stryker and attack him and often kind of don't understand why what he does works, but also Nazi intellectuals hate him 
because they don't, they think he's gross. He's boorish. His kind of anti-Semitism is really low class. Whereas theirs, they feel is very intellectual. Hitler, a big part of what Hitler does is he defends Stryker from the intellectuals in the Nazi party who hate him by being like, you guys don't get it. This dude has a fucking like hotline to the, the it like angrying up the blood of sort of like working class Germans. He gets it. He gets how to talk to them. And you people don't with your like fancy ass weird books about Nazi race magic, you know, like that's that's not exactly it. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly it. And I mean, I hate to say it like Hitler was clever in that regard. Like he, of course, yeah. But the irony is that Stryker's version of anti-Semitism is way more honest. It's awful, but it's way yeah. more honest because the intellectuals are as disgusting as Stryker. He's Absolutely. just saying it without the without the window dressing, you know. Yeah, I'm not making I'm not, I'm not making like a moral difference between these guys for sure. But you're oh, right. No, no, like, no, I'm just saying like it's, it's, it's ironic that they would look down on Stryker yeah. when they're the exact same people. Yeah, obviously, like he'll lie about you know crimes and stuff that he claims people committed. But when it comes to the 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 meaning of his hate, he's very honest. Yeah. Um. So Stryker's sentences when he writes them in his, in the Der Sturmer are short. He keeps you know he, he's very focused and to the point. He uses simple words when he makes a report. Uh, uh, and a big thing thing from is when he makes a point. He repeats it over and over again for months or mm-hmm. even years. Mm-hmm. Um, each issue, there's never any new arguments, right? Every argument you're going to get from Stryker is laid out in the first, you know, issue of Der Sturmer. But every issue brings more pieces of evidence to support these arguments, right? And the central argument is that the Jews are a threat to German life. The 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 line that he uses over and over again is the Jews are our misfortune, right? Which becomes one of the most iconic pieces of anti-Semitic rock. Nazi propaganda, right? right. Um, yeah. In the mid 1920s, Stryker adds cartoons to Der Sturmer. Uh, he had become. This is another area in which he's a he's a trailblazer because he's become a, a fan over the period of making this of a racist cartoonist named Philippe Ruprecht, uh, who wrote uh-huh. racist cartoons under the pseudonym Phipps. Yeah. And Stryker is like the first. Nazi dude to like realize like, Hey, you know what, you know what everyone loves is a cartoon. This is a great way to, to spread our propaganda. Um, Phipps is interesting because he was initially just like a cartoonist who happened to be a racist. And so he gets hired by a social democratic paper to show up at a striker speech and like draw a caricature of striker, right. For this newspaper that doesn't like him. Um, but Phipps, kind of falls in love with, with Stryker uh, and instead draws caricatures of that mayor I talked about, Lupa, um, and a prominent Jewish citizen who's got, like, beef with Stryker. And he, he instead of, like, doing the thing he'd been paid to, he goes to Stryker and he's like, hey, man, uh, I got paid to draw you, but instead I did these caricatures of these guys you hate. Will you publish them in Der Sturmer? Um, Stryker does. And over the next eight years, Phipps's anti-Semitic caricatures became the standard German visual shorthand for, like, identifying a public figure as as Jewish. Um, Michael D. Bulmash, whose family collection of Holocaust-related propaganda is hosted by Kenyon University, describes the impact of Phipps's drawings this way. These grotesque, often pornographic cartoons of Jewish stereotypes accompanied the propaganda striker disseminated, saturating the consciousness of Germans during the Third Reich and contributing to the capacity of many Germans to accept the Nazi program. These drawings often ended with the statement, the Jew is our misfortune, and without a solution to the Jewish question, there is no salvation for mankind. Now, I'm going to have Sophie show you one of these cartoons, and we're not going to 
post any of this shit on the internet because by God, there's enough of it. But like what's going on in this cartoon you're looking at, it shows like a Jewish butcher with his wife behind him. They are both drawn uncharitably and he is putting rats in an organ grinder in order to make meat to sell to Christians, right? Uh, Specifically sort of conspiracy theories against Jewish butchers are a big part of the thing that uh, Stryker is pushing because it makes people feel like they're personally threatened. You know, it's a way to kind of force them out of uh, society. So, yeah. I don't know. If, yeah, it's you, you can see sort of like the visual shorthand that he's developing here. Mm. Um, it's it's really like the archetypal, like anti-Semitic yes. Uh, yes. style, if you like. Yeah. Uh, all of the modern sort of racist caricatures in this vein are descendants of Phipps's drawings. Yeah. yeah. Pretty yeah, common Everybody story wants now. the hidden knowledge, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. But you know the only way to get hidden knowledge, Jake? Buying something. That's right. That's right. That That's right. Want. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when you purchase something that you don't want, uh, it creates a Gnostic uh, info path uh, in which, you know, the Demiurge will beam a secret truth into your head because you've subscribed to Blue Apron's mealbox plan. Everyone's saying it. Everyone's saying it. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The thing. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Ah, we're, we're back here. So good stuff here. 
Um, so yeah, by 1933, Der Stürmer is among the most popular newspapers in Germany. There's more than half a million sales each month. You know, they're doing great. Hitler's in power. Um, and he holds a big celebration rally in Nuremberg, which is, again, Stryker's city, right? That's where the base of his power has always been. The early years of political legitimacy, you know, because the, the 30s, before Hitler kind of is made chancellor, the early 30s is when they're starting to get in to the, the, the Reichstag and whatnot. This has been good for not just Stryker, but other Nazi bigwigs. And they'd started to get both rich and and, like, literally, physically overweight, right? Because... They're not fighting in the streets so much. They've all gotten older, and now they have money for, like, nice food and alcohol. And I bring this up because, so you look at, like, iconic footage of Nazi rallies. Have you noticed that a lot of them are at night, right? These big torchlit rallies. I had always assumed that, like, that was just because, oh, torches are, like, impressive visually. Like, it, it makes it look kind of, like, more serious and whatnot. But the reason why this first big Nuremberg rally uh, is is done like in torchlit style is because Hitler's like angry at the fact that all of his old fighters have gotten fat and he doesn't want their bellies to show. <laughs> so he's like, oh, we gotta we gotta do uh, this at night so we don't nobody sees. Uh, <laughs> we don't want him to look at Hermann Gehring. That's yeah, fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's it's really it's kind of funny if you can you know not think about what comes later a little bit. But yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So while most of the old fighters straight away took offices in Germany and set to work dismantling Weimar, Stryker remains at his paper, right? He doesn't a lot, basically all of the other guys who are had been that tight with Hitler for that long get jobs in the government. Even if that job, they're not really doing anything. It's just sort of like, well, now you can get money and like take bribes and stuff. They get gigs in the state. Stryker doesn't do that. And it, I think it's probably because Hitler and everyone knows like, I know you like this guy. We'll take care of him. But like, he can't work in the government. Like he's, he's just not that kind of person. He's not able to function within a bureaucracy. You know, he's a, a useful propagandist, but he's just too thorny to like function in a system like that. So they give him kind of the, the, this sort of like the prize that they give him that allows him to exist outside of the state apparatus is he's made Gauleiter for Franconia, which is the region that Nuremberg is in. And Gauleiter is a party position, so it's not part of the government, it's part of the Nazi party, and it's effectively like the head of a state party, right? Like you think about- Gauleiter. It, Gauleiter. What the fuck G- is wrong with Germans, man? I know, it's nonsense, nonsense language. Um, and, and hey, I don't feel any better about France. We're coming for you next when we do the Napoleon episodes. Um, uh, they've already surrendered. <laughs> yeah. So Gauleiter is like, yeah, it, it's, it's, you think about like in the United States, you've got like the, the Republican Party of Texas or the, um, the Democratic Party of Wyoming or whatever. They're going to have like a person who is running the party for that state. That's what the Gauleiter is. But because the Nazis have taken control of the state and are sort of in the process, 33, 34, 35, of like eating the state apparatus, being the head of the party for Franconia puts him in functional control over the government of the region but he's not actually responsible for anything. So he can step in anywhere. He could tell the mayor what to do. He could tell the governor what to do. He can like, you know, force his will anywhere in Franconia he wants, but he also doesn't have to do anything. So he's not like managing the sewers, but if he, there's a way for him to like get money out of like the sewers, like he could do that, you know? Um, it's kind of a perfect position for a gangster type dude to be in, right? Because you don't actually have to, accomplish anything for people but you can take advantage whenever it sort of occurs to you how you can do that um right. it's a sweet gig 
Um, but as Bitework like explains, bind, kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but as a, as his biographer Bitework explains, even this sweetheart gig is not something that Julius is well suited to handle. Just as he had been a poor soldier off the battlefield and a good one on it, he was better at fighting for political power than he was at using it. Indeed, the almost absolute power of a Gauleiter of the Third Reich exacerbated the flaws in his personality. He could not tolerate the orders of others, nor would he tolerate disobedience on the path of his subordinates. And Randall goes on to cite the analysis of a historian named Edward Preston, uh, which I find interesting, if slightly questionable in phrasing. Probably more so than any of his peers, Stryker combined the elements of a dictator who would brook no opposition with those of the anarchist, the lover of chaos, who would accept no orders from superiors. This inability to fit into an organization, even his own, was his greatest weakness as Gauleiter. His lack of control made him enemies above, such as Goering and Himmler, who drove and drove honorable men out of his organization below, leaving miserable toadies who had to crawl at his feet. There was constant turmoil in Franconia because there was constant turmoil in Stryker. So he's he's given this gig, which is like his reward for being loyal, but he's like bad and he's fucking up. He's not just bad at it, but he's like fucking up the ability of the government to function in this. This is a pretty crucial period for the Nazis, really, especially 33 to like 36 or so. They're not it's not guaranteed that they're going to hold on to absolute power. The military doesn't really like them. They're in the process of replacing the police, right? There's still a chance that they could get like pushed out at this stage. So they don't want a guy like Stryker just like fucking around in the local government and being incompetent. It's like bad for them, you know? Yeah, they don't want a live wire at the time of everyone needing to play ball. Exactly. Exactly. This it's this is like a really critical period, and it's recognized that he he's a very reliable propagandist. He's not reliable here. So, you know, the big reason why he gets into trouble then is not that, like, he's, you know, a gangster, because they all are. It's that he's bad at being a gangster. You know, he, he after he chases his nemesis, the mayor, out of job, the, the out of the job, he replaces him with a toady, um, like a, a guy who's supposed to, you know, suck up to him. But, like, that guy isn't very good at his job and also doesn't work with Stryker well because basically no one does. And the police chiefs that Himmler appoints in Franconia, they also hate Stryker because he's, like, super corrupt and is constantly breaking even, like, the minimal laws they're trying to enforce. Um, So over and over again, Stryker will get, you know, in trouble with somebody for, like, fucking up something critical in the state, and Nazi functionaries will write complaints to Hitler, and Hitler will intervene again and again. This happens a bunch in the mid-30s. Like, Nazis trying to force Stryker out as Gauleiter and Hitler being like, nah, man, he's my boy. Nah, he's my boy. Like, (laughs) I know he's bad at this, but like, fuck you, he's my guy. Um, And again, while this is going on, Nuremberg is a big city for Hitler. He visits there regularly. He doesn't like to see Stryker. There's like a bunch of cases where he'll show up in Nuremberg for an event and he'll kind of like have like an advanced team go just to like warn him where Stryker is so he doesn't have to like <laughs> hang out with him. Like is, he really so funny. Yeah, like, doesn't don't like let that him. Dickhead see me. Yeah, don't let that dickhead see me, but also it's known this is not just something that like was propaganda. People who knew and spent time around Hitler said that like Der Sturmer is the only thing Hitler reads cover to cover. Like wow. every issue. This yeah. guy's reading it, you know? Um so when we look at Stryker living under Nazi control, again, he's not he's not this guy of kind of like broad ranging talent. His talent is extremely focused on being a propagandist. Um, but 
you know, outside of that, he's kind of a failure in every other aspect of life. The early years of the Reich are then largely about score settling for Julius. In 1934, after the Night of Long Knives, a Nuremberg school teacher was heard in a cafe saying that strikers should have been among the victims. When word got back to Julius, someone reports this teacher, he has the man arrested, and then he shows up in this teacher's cell with two other Nazis armed with whips, and they beat this guy half to death with them. As they leave the cell, Julius is heard to say, I needed that. Now I feel released. Like, you know, and I think this is like, he's a street fighter. He's an old soldier. Like, I'm going to use my part of what he is using his power on now that he is in political power is to like, go beat the shit out of people whenever he wants to like deal with his stress. Yeah. Because he's, you know, he's a big bully too. Maybe we have, maybe we have like glossed over that, but yeah. Yeah. I think that's like at the center of a lot of these ideologies is like just suppressed bullies or yeah. bullies yeah. in a position where, you know, they can't do it for a bit or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's just like, uh, that's, I mean, obviously you think about like who wants to be a Nazi? Well, assholes, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. of I course, like the way you're living. So I want to crush you. Like, exactly. Like, fuck off. Man. Yeah. Like we shouldn't be surprised that Julius Stryker uses his power to like beat mm. whoever he wants with a fucking whip. Um, yeah. that's not a pro obviously like, Heinrich Himmler or whatever isn't going to like go after him for whipping some random teacher. But where Stryker causes problems is so one of the first things he does when the Nazis take power is he helps to organize an anti-Jewish boycott through his paper, um, which like is really successful, um, you know, and it, well, it's actually kind of a mixed bag, but it's successful in making Nuremberg seen as the center of Nazi racial jurisprudence. Um, because Stryker is the guy who's writing all of these theories out. Now that they're sort of in power, he doesn't need to like cons- like spread conspiracies about the Jews as much as he needs to make specific suggestions for how German law should deal with them. Um, and this feeds into the fact that in September of 1935, at a Nuremberg rally, Hitler announces a new set of laws restricting the behavior of Jewish Germans, known as the Nuremberg Laws. Among other things, these legally ban sexual relations between German Jews and German non-Jews. Now, Stryker was not a part of writing these laws. The, any, any reading, anything you ever read about the Holocaust, any documentary about the Holocaust will talk about the Nuremberg Laws. They are extremely important in the... Um, the advancing sort of assembly of the apparatus that becomes the Holocaust, Stryker gets credit for these laws. He has no role in them, actually. Like, Because, again, you're not going to bring in this dude to help you write laws. But because he was kind of the most known anti-Semite in the Nazi party, and because Nuremberg is his city, he gets credit for this thing that he doesn't actually really make. I mean, obviously, he does support them. Um, but he also like part of why he's not going to get to write these laws that he gets credit for is that these laws are written by the Nazi intellectuals that we talked about who don't believe the exact same things that he does. Like among other things, Stryker believes that like Stryker has these like weird mishmash of different sort of conspiratorial or in different sort of like historical, almost some kind of like magical beliefs about the Jews um, and like where they came from and like all of this weird stuff that kind of reaches back to like Ariosophy and stuff like that. Um, Helena Blavatsky kind of shit. We talk about all this stuff and some of that is common among the Nazi intelligentsia, but like Stryker's version of it is considered kind of gutter. And so it's interesting. He gets kind of the last laugh here because these guys who hate him because they consider him low class are the ones who write the Nuremberg laws, but Stryker kind of gets credit for it. And in fact, 
after Hitler announces the Nuremberg laws, like during his speech, uh, there are chants of hail striker that break out in the crowd because so many people give him credit for this stuff. Um, interesting side note under the new job of kind of planting this seed without actually doing the thing. Such a good job that he gets credit for it over these people who are pretty pissed that like, he's the one who gets credit for their racism. Uh. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine um, being pissed about that. Yeah, yeah. We're the better racists. No, he's not being racist right. <laughs> yeah. Under the new Third Reich, Der Sturmer expanded its oeuvre into publishing children's books. Like the 1936 text, Trust no fox on the green meadow and no Jew on his oath. Not as good a title as like, I don't know, Hop on Pop. Um, mm. But yeah, that's a that's not not as good as anti-Semitism daily. <laughs> no, no, the anti anti-Semitic letters. Yeah, yeah. Um, this book is written by Elvira Bauer, who is a, an 18 year old art student and kindergarten teacher, uh, and is illustrated by Phipps. Uh, Kenyon University writes: Children as young as six would be propagandized to recognize the Jew as distinct from the Aryan German, as crafty and exploitative, untrustworthy, greedy, money hoarding, physically repulsive, and sexually predatory. The school child would be indoctrinated with old anti-Semitic tropes and canards from an early age. German youth would learn not only to recognize these repulsive descriptions of Jews, but as well the importance of standing together as a nation to remove the Jew as a threat. Der Sturmer constantly reminded Germans that the Jews are our misfortune and Jewry and its malignant influence had to be destroyed. So, again, through all the issues, the first five years of Nazi power are broadly speaking a good time for him. But in 1938, mm. he stru- steps out of line again. And the, the cause here is Kristallnacht happens, right? So you get this big night of rioting across Germany. A bunch of synagogues are burnt down. A bunch of Jewish businesses are like robbed. Um, the windows. Yeah, breaking the window. It's the night of broken glass, right? Yeah. And Stryker uses this as an excuse, kind of in the wake of this, to buy up millions of dollars of uh, Jewish property at forced sale prices, where it's basically like, hey, seeing what's happening to all these other Jewish-owned businesses, your shop can either get burnt down or you can sell it to me at like 5% of its actual value, right? Um, now, the Nazis don't have an issue with this as a thing. In fact, this is what they are all doing. But the problem is that Stryker is not going within the party apparatus. He's just doing this at wherever he thinks there's a profit. And Hermann Goering is the guy who's supposed to be doing all this, like making, like buying all these businesses for nothing. So when Stryker does this, he kind of steps on Goering's toes. And so the two men are wind up in conflict over this. And that conflict gets stoked by some of Stryker's other enemies within the Nazi party apparatus. One of these guys is the local police president who like goes to Goering and is like, hey, man, look, you and I are buds. I just want to let you know, Stryker's telling people your dick doesn't work. Like he's saying (laughs) that like your wife got artificially inseminated because like you can't come anymore. I just want you to know, bro, like I'm not saying that. Jules is saying that, you know? It is so petty, right? Yeah, got him. (laughs) So this pisses off Herman Goering, um, who launches a yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, who launches a commission to investigate uh, Stryker, and of course finds a lot of examples of outrageous corruption. And obviously, Herman Goering is Herman Goering. I don't trust that this was a good investigation, but (laughs) Stryker is outrageously corrupt, so it's probably not hard. And, like, it's so fucked up. Like, one of the things they're doing, there's, like, a fucking um, 
paparazzi element to this where like Stryker is constantly cheating on his wife, right? He's got all these mistresses. He's, he's visiting prostitutes. So a big part of what they're doing is they're just like having photographers ambush him while he's like naked fucking people and like take photos and stuff of him. Yeah. That's like a bunch of this (laughs) (laughs) paparazzi, but like right there. So Gehring's investigation comes up with both a bunch of photos of Stryker morally sort of being, and one of most of the Nazis are like this, right? Hermann Gehring is like this, right? Like he is a, he is a, a decadent motherfucker, but Hitler's actually not. Hitler's like weird and repressed and kind of grossed out by this sort of behavior. Yeah. So even though they're all doing it, if you can make the case to Hitler that like this guy's a degenerate, Hitler will get kind of pissed off as a result Mm -hmm. of that. So that's like the hope. That's why they're going after him this way. Um, So this forces a wider investigation, you know, Goering's investigation. And so it now becomes a matter for the Nazi courts Uh, and the Nazi courts call up Stryker's assistant, a guy named Hans Koenig to testify against him. And it does say as much of an asshole as Stryker is to most people he works with, Koenig is as loyal as you can be because when he gets subpoenaed, basically, he goes to Stryker and he's like, they're going to make me, they're going to question me on the stand about you. And Stryker's like, you should kill yourself, bro. It's the only way to get out of this. (laughs) And Koenig does it. Koenig kills himself to protect Stryker. (laughs) What? Yeah, he's like, yes, sir. (laughs) Taking the order. Yeah, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I guess this is how I'm doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa, man. Uh, What the fuck was going on in in Germany, man? Man, people are, you got a a note with all of this happening that like, you can buy heroin over the counter. There's like methamphetamine everywhere. Maybe that, maybe that, also everyone's drinking all, I don't know, maybe that plays a role. All the head injuries from the war, who knows, you know? It's a Um, a really wild time though. It's fucking nuts yeah <laughs> like obviously everything else that happened after was wild and fucked up and crazy yeah. but it really didn't spring from nothing no no it's a it's quite a quite a period and uh, yeah, yeah so fucking koenig offs himself um which winds up protecting uh, uh striker now the commission still finishes its report its investigation on him and what they uncovered provides us with a pretty interesting lens into the early ground reality of nazi corruption and i'm going to quote from the book julius striker here the commission even investigated Stryker's sexual life, greatly aided by the cooperation of a nervous mistress. Announcing that no proper man would wear a wedding ring, Stryker had collected those of his underlings to melt down into a jewelry box for his mistress, Annie Seitz, who also received a regular salary for very limited duties from Stryker's, uh, one of his newspapers. Other mistresses, too, received paychecks from surprising sources. A country house with a well-equipped bedroom has been bu- had been built for Stryker's affairs. Further cases of the beatings of political opponents were uncovered, as were Stryker's detailed examinations of the sex lives of arrested juvenile delinquents and his boasts in the presence of young people of sexual prowess. So he's he's doing shit like he's having all the people who work with him given his wedding rings so he can, like, melt them down to give a present to his mistress. He's like, whenever juvenile delinquents are arrested, he's, like, showing up to, like, sexually harass and sometimes assault them. Like, so fucking he, weird. He's a real weird piece of shit. Um, so again, a lot of Nazis are doing stuff like this. Stryker's just really bad at covering it up. But still, Hitler fights back against these attempts from the other Nazis to use this as a justification to remove him from power. And he he continues to back Stryker for another year until the German invasion of Poland. And what finally gets Julius in trouble with Hitler is really dumb. Basically, 
the invasion of Poland, again, we forget this because of everything, is kind of unpopular, even in Germany at the time, yeah. right? Like, it's kind of a dicey move. It's a gamble. Hitler's a gambler. It's a gamble to invade Poland because people aren't fully on board with doing another world war at this stage. Um, while he's trying to build support for Hitler's invasion of Poland, Stryker kind of goes off a little bit on a limb, and he makes some comments critiquing the leadership of the Wehrmacht, which... Hitler absolutely needs the army's support. And so when Stryker fucks up and makes the army angry, Hitler has to ban Stryker from giving public speeches in order to keep the army on his side. Um, this sort of forces another investigation against Stryker, which reveals a bunch more corruption. And in 1940, Hitler finally agrees to remove Julius from his f- official position as Gauleiter. Sort of. He doesn't, Hitler can't have him in control anymore, but he doesn't want to like publicly insult him. So in public, Stryker is still named the Gauleiter, but he is privately, another person is picked to do the job, and Stryker is banned from leaving his home, right? He's not allowed to go to Nuremberg anymore. He's basically on, like, house arrest, but he's still allowed (laughs) to publish Der Sturmer. It's this weird back and forth Hitler has with him where he's like, you are under house arrest. I will prosecute you if you go to Nuremberg, but also while the war is going on, I'm going to send you like precious supplies of fuel and paper in order to keep making Der Sturmer. Um, Right. He just needs that, but he doesn't need the lunatic behind it. I'm I'm certainly not suggesting uh, here what I'm going to say that uh, Trump is like Hitler or anything like that. But it, it's it's in a way it it reminds me slightly of like Bannon and Trump like yeah, yeah we yeah. need this rabble rouser and then it was like oh for fuck's sake he's he's going too far we can, what the fuck can we do with him you know yeah I mean it's one of those things like they're both authoritarian guys like obviously Trump hasn't killed tens of millions of people real big difference there mm-hmm. um, but there's similar personality things right and there's in, including as you I think pretty astutely noted Bannon is super talented propagandist was terrible at being involved in politics directly. Yeah, right? exactly. And immediately yeah. got in. Yeah, th- these kind of guys come up and down in um in history, you know? Like, yeah, it's it's, it's just that's just the way it goes. Um so yeah, uh, oddly enough, firing Stryker in this way is one of the few things Adolf Hitler ever felt guilty about. Like this kind of gnaws at his heart. <laughs> Uh, there's like a, very a, 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 yeah, a quote from him during a, fo- a private dinner in 1942 where he, he's like lamenting this striker affair is a tragedy. Striker is irreplaceable. There's no question of his coming back, but I must do him justice. If one day I write my memoirs, I shall have to recognize that this man fought like a buffalo in our cause. I can't help thinking that in comparison with so many services, the reasons for striker's dismissal are really very slender. Like it's so as a guy, he's a real piece of shit. I mean, he's, he's literally Hitler, but he's got this, like, he's, like, morally harmed by the fact that he's he feels like he's not doing right by Stryker. <laughs> like, don't, it's don't so strange. Don't about um, evil that someone can feel bad about, like, firing this fucking lunatic that he didn't even like and then not feel bad about literally massacring oh. six million people. Yeah, like, and anything what? else. Fuck what it. a weird thing it is know? so because i think it is that for all of his numerous flaws you know as as other nazis saw them striker was right or die for hitler yeah you know? yeah um yeah and and someone with an ego like hitler's that means so much that means everything to him yeah i mean obviously it's important in anyone's life but for yeah. someone like yeah. that 
when they're yeah. doing these evil yeah. shit. You need that person. Yeah. Yeah. You need you need that fucking dude who like like, like you know Stryker had this guy who was willing to kill himself for him. I think Stryker would have done that for Hitler. Like he was able yeah. to be kind of selfless when it came to uh-huh. backing Hitler. This is the only yeah. place he was able to do that in his life because he's otherwise yeah. real piece of shit. Um, but he had that to him. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's it's so it, things like that are just so fascinating to me. Like the yeah. psyche of just you know like pure evil. Like and yeah. it's compartmentalized within these people's heads. Like it's yeah, it's fascinating. There's a lot there just about the hum the humanity, and I don't mean this in like we need to be sympathetic toward Adolf Hitler, no. but the humanity of him in that he is a man who is capable of having something gnaw at his conscience, right. but also like the thing that gnaws at his conscience is that he wasn't nice enough to a giant piece of shit. <laughs> right. Right. It's, yeah. It's, um, I don't yeah. even know how you work it out. Like I, there's wow, nothing to, you know. it's just like a thing. Like, I yeah, think it's, yeah. if you actually, is, right? if you actually want to understand these people, not just as like historical figures, but as like people, this is a thing. It's an interesting aspect of that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't understand where this is coming from, it will happen again. Yeah, it, exactly. And it also like these people, someone we, we often say like, oh, this person's a monster. Right. And you use it to kind of treat them like a force of almost like magic, like an ill wind. And it's like, uh-huh. no, Hitler was a person. Stryker was a person. They had, you know, part of what you have to understand here that I'm sure is like an aspect of how they both feel the way they do is this like feeling of like trench loyalty to a fellow soldier, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, anyway. So World War II, not great for the Der Sturmer as a, as a, as a profitable organization. For one thing, paper, fuel, all gets harder to find. It's more difficult to publish newsletters. Most people in this period are actually going to be reading Der Sturmer, not by like buying a copy, but because in every town in Germany, they'll put up these big kind of like ground level billboard type things where every new issue will be like put under glass or something. So you can see each page and like presented that way. So people in town can just like walk up to it to read that week's issue of Der Sturmer. Um, like that's how a lot of it gets handed out. Cause like, like for free. Yeah. For free. Cause there's Without shortages. Having it kind of. Yeah. Cause right. you can't, you can't make as much as many paper copies for one thing. Right. It's just not mm-hmm. possible mm-hmm. with the reality of the war. Um, so obviously, Der Sturmer becomes less profitable. It also, people are less interested in it during World War II. Stryker was, had built his base of readers through sexual titillation and, and blood and guts and fear-mongering about the Jews. That's the core of it, right? Mm-hmm. And by the time World War II starts, there are not Jews publicly in German society, right? That's like the Holocaust, you know? Um, yeah. And so there's nothing for him to fear-monger about, right? What are you going to do? Like, how are you going to do the thing that you were doing? They've, they've the new enemy. Yeah, right? they've been removed, right? And he, he's not ever able to really feel, figure that out. So, Der Sturmer stays working during the World War II, but it kind of, it's, it's, it's it, public interest in it sort of falls through the floor. And in early 1945, Julius requests permission from Hitler to basically, I want to, you know, everything's falling apart. Please let me go to the front and like fight. Uh, and Hitler gives him permission. But Stryker doesn't wind up doing that. Instead, he's just married his secretary um, after his wife died, who he'd been cheating with on his wife for a long time. And right before the war ends, they flee to Berchtesgaden, which is where Hitler had like, it's this nice little mountain town where Hitler had his like summer home. And 
I th- they kind of just like move there with the plan of like writing it out as long as they can and then killing themselves. Um, so while they're in hiding, American GIs, you know, capture Nuremberg and whatnot, and they find Stryker's house. And as they're going, this is a thing, all of these Nazis, right? You know, Hermann Goering's big palace gets like gone through by soldiers. So does like Hitler's place in Berchtesgaden. They find all of the different like art these guys had collected. And when it comes to Stryker, you know, these other big Nazis, they had stolen like very valuable works of art. Inside Stryker's home, they find what might have been the largest stockpile of pornography in the world at the time. Of um, course. Are you surprised? No, no, no. Like just <laughs> rooms of porn. And what yeah, he'd done is yeah. for years as Gowleiter, Stryker had collected using his the police every piece of pornography produced in the city that he could get his hands on he claimed i'm building a library to like study the jewish plot to destroy Aryan masculinity that's why i need more Uh, porn than any man has ever had yeah right one minute there i'm just in the office studying (laughs) i'm studying (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna study so hard tonight Mm -hmm. yeah 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 well i mean it's um it's funny to think of uh but at the same time, it's not at all surprising from this yeah, guy, right? No, not at all. So on May 23rd, 1945, uh, the Americans are in Berchtesgaden. There's the, you know, they're looking for all of these Nazi bigwigs, right? And Stryker is on the list. He's gone missing. So like officers are getting handed these lists being like, be on the lookout for this dude. We, <laughs> we want to talk to this Nazi. Um, and there's this American Jewish major, right? He's a, he's a Jewish American who's an army major. His last name is Plitt. And he's walking around town one day in Berchtesgaden and he sees Stryker and his mistress. And Plitt doesn't think that he's Stryker. And instead is just like, hey man, you look a lot like this escaped Nazi. Has anyone ever told you that, right? Like he's just being kind of casual about it. Yeah. But he does it in like German and he's not great at speaking German, right? Because he's an American. And so Stryker, because the dude's German is broken, thinks this guy is saying, you are the escaped Nazi Julius Stryker and hands himself in, right? He's like, you got me. And the, the, right. then the major's like, wait, really? <laughs> For real? <laughs> Why? Why? Are you actually that guy? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the language barrier captured us at least one Nazi. There you go. Right. Um, right. Now, Stryker gets arrested. Um, if you go and read... And if you're Googling a lot of stories about Stryker, you will wind up on a bunch of Nazi websites because they are livid that he gets, um, they call it torture, which I guess you could, it's not not torture. Basically what happens is when he gets arrested, this is a thing that happens to a number of arrested Nazis. A couple of like Jewish soldiers and black soldiers just beat the shit out of him, right? Just absolutely too bad, too fucking too, bad, too fucking. But right, like I'm not worried about this. This is not. Yeah. This doesn't tweak my heart. But Nazis get really angry about the fact uh-huh. that the Allies tortured this guy. Where it's like, yeah, I don't know, man. One thing that we, that we know happens is that um, U.S. troops start circulating a picture of him after he got the the hell beaten out of him that has a sign that says Julius Stryker, King of Jews. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, you know, he's had this, had his shit kicked in. Yeah. He, he gets a little, he gets more of his comeuppance than like most Nazis. Right. Um, so he goes on, you know, he's captured. He's, there's like a year or so where he's like, you know, in custody and everyone's trying to figure out how to do the Nuremberg trials. Cause that's a whole process. And like, while he's being in, interrogated, while this court trial is going on, Stryker 
he kind of like, he has a couple of weird periods. There's like one period of time where he starts, because this is, if you remember, you know, your history, right after World War II, a number of these Jewish militias that had existed in Palestine start like fighting, you know, more openly, right? And he hears about this. And he starts making speeches about how now, you know, if you'll let me go, I'll go to Palestine to fight on behalf of these Jewish militias, because unlike the Germans, they're willing to fight for their homeland or whatever. Right. It's what very weird. Fuck? Like, I think he's just like fucking with people. Right. Yeah. Like, he, yeah, cause he, like he's trolling. Right. Like that is the guy this is like he knows this will get attention. He wants to troll people. He right. makes a claim at one point that like I met this Jewish American soldier who treated me well and it proved to me that there's good Jews. But then he also writes like a, a final like big anti-Semitic rant. That's his like political statement about how everything's the fault. He's just like trolling people. Right. Like we don't need to get into it. That I mean, the guy that he is in prison. Yeah. yeah. He's going to say that shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, So. They have this big international military tribunal. Stryker and Gehring are kind of like two of the bigger Nazis there. There's some like generals and whatnot. Um, And the indictment of Stryker concludes that he was like not directly involved in the physical commission of the Holocaust, right? Not, or at least not in a, a, a way that's like similar to, you know, the people who are running Auschwitz or whatever, right? But they note, and I think this is a really interesting and valuable thing that the Nuremberg trial does, that while he was not a part of the state and he was not organizing death camps, his propaganda was consciously preparing the way for genocide, right? That that has, had been part of his goal and that he was thus partly responsible for Nazi crimes against humanity. Um, there's a, a a line in here, basically like within sort of the um, kind of indictments against him, um, there's this sort of a, a, a line that, quote, The effects of this man's crime, of the poison that he has poured into the minds of millions of young boys and girls, goes on. For he concentrated upon the youth and childhood of Germany. He leaves behind him a legacy of almost a whole people poisoned with hate, sadism, and murder, and perverted by him. That people remain a problem and perhaps a menace to the rest of civilization for generations to come. So yeah, uh, that is the accurate conclusion of the Nuremberg Commission. Uh, He is sentenced to death. Spot on. Yeah, spot on. A very, I mean... In many ways, I think his legacy is a lot more dangerous than yeah. someone yeah. dealing out violence at the time. Not to say they're any, yeah, you know, absolutely, they're scum as well, but you know what I mean? His legacy yeah. has definitely lasted. Yeah. I mean, you think about like a couple of years ago in the US, we had the Tree of Life synagogue shooting, right? This guy, Robert Bowers, yeah. walks and shoots 11 people. He'd read, there's, you can find like quotes of him basically sharing evolutions of striker propaganda. There's a direct line between the two, right? He, striker's still killing people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly um, my point. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that on October 16th, 1946, the United States uh, had a mostly illiterate con man who pretended to be a skilled executioner uh, hang striker on the gallows at Nuremberg and really fuck it up. It's a bad execution. This guy uh, w- did not know what he was end. doing. <laughs> what a poetic end. Yeah, perfect. He gets, yeah. Perfect. He gets caught yeah. by a guy who's, who's who has broken German and then gets killed yeah. by a guy who's, you know, bad at hanging people. Yeah. Right, yeah. it has like this Looney Tunes death after yeah. doing all this yeah. mad shit. Yeah, yeah the, the American people helping to punish the Nazis through incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck we didn't know man. what we were doing, but we got him in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's us. like, yeah, it's, it, luckily he he felt like a lot of pain before death just from American incompetence, but fuck yeah. it, it works. 
God willing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. That's the story of uh, Julius Stryker. Jake, how you feeling? Yeah, it's very fascinating, man. I'm really, really interested in that. Uh, as particularly like I've read, um, oh God, what's the, anyway, the book about like the lead up to World War II. And I, I, didn't, yeah. I don't remember this guy. I'm sure it was in it. It was a long time ago, but it, it's really interesting, this kind of stuff. And it really sadly shows that it's not really going anywhere and hasn't really gone anywhere yeah. in, in some ways, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's pretty pretty cool. If you're interested in Julia Stryker, I'd really do recommend people the book Julia Stryker by Randall Bitwork. Really good book, uh, really good historiography of this guy. Talks in much more detail about his propaganda. Um, Jake, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so just uh, hit me up any social media at Jake underscore Hanrahan. That's H-A-N-R-A-H-A-N. Um, or check uh, check out my platform, uh, Popular Front. Just go, well, search, yeah, your best bet. We, we're shadow banned off of a load of stuff. We're censored heavily on everything but Twitter, ironically. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just search uh, at popular.front and you'll find us. Mm-hmm. Yes. So... Uh, check out Popular Front. Check out uh, Sad Oligarch, and mm. uh, join Cooler Zone Media so you can get all of these wonderful yes. shows. Well, not Popular Definitely. Front ad free, but Popular Front is ad free normally. So all of your podcasts will be ad free if you add that to your. your it, it, well, I'll be honest. <laughs> times are very hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's going to stay ad free for much yeah, longer. Uh, uh, We've yeah, done five yeah. years, but yeah, shit's mm-hmm. going bad. But yeah, so, not so. bad in terms of the business. In terms of um, cost of living crisis, you know. For yeah, sure, yeah, for sure. no, yeah. It's hard out there. So we, but, yeah, we understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, and that brings me back to Blue Apron. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Um, anyway, everybody, fresh. <laughs> you know, uh, have a have a happy holiday. This isn't going to come out during a holiday, but the next time you have a holiday, remember me wishing you a happy one now. Weirdo. And Christmas. Yeah, and Christmas. You know, for a few months from now. Cool. Bye. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, CoolZoneMedia.com, or. Check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finish. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network.